You know, I don't know about you, but I feel like Christmas is kind of a kind of a challenging time of the year. Um, last night, uh, some friends and, I, and, and Don and I went out to eat, and uh, I was just kind of thinking about how this time of the, se- of the year, this season is always the, uh, the time for families to get together and friends, and have you all been noticing that, you know? But because of that, there's also a lot of grief and I think sometimes pain due to it because there's a lot of highs and lows. Um, I can't help but think about maybe relationships that don't exist anymore or or maybe family members or loved ones who are not in our lives anymore. These holidays always um, make me think of that. You know, and for us uh, in our household, having one of our kids go off to college and now not always around, you know. So for all the little things that we try to do as a family, we, we don't have that. And then this time of year, it seems like everybody is sick, right? Everybody. And in fact, this week, I have had so many people text me saying that they have you know, the, the flu or, or some sort of, um, you know, some sort of sickness going on. And it went through our house and in our house, you know, if, if there, there's six people at home right now, and so it just goes from one person to the next, right? And then it sometimes will cycle back around. And so it's been kind of crazy. Um, and so I wanted to, before we get started, um, I wanted to pray for anybody that we know that's sick. There's a lot of people that aren't here this morning because they've been sick. And then I also want to um, acknowledge and offer a praise report. Um, we have the Lewandowskis here this morning. So Jamie's over there and Mark, and that's awesome. Yeah. Because uh, if you, well, you probably know, we were praying for both of you for a long, long time. And this is the first time, Jamie, you've been in church for a year and three months. Yeah, and so that's, we're so excited about having you, you guys here too. Do not, you're not allowed to hug her, okay? I was like long distance hugging, so. Uh, Mark loves hugs, just want to go on record saying that, so. Is that true? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, so let's pray. Father, uh, we do want to take a moment and pray for just anybody that we know who is sick and So many different people who are part of our church community right now are under the weather, and we pray for swift recovery, for healing. Uh, I pray that, Lord, you would bring relief to runny noses, coughs, and sore throats, and all the just different things that people are experiencing. Um, And, Lord, I pray that you would um, help us to uh, be willing to serve in those capacities, in those ways, as we hear about different needs that are around us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start, talk a little bit this morning. Um, you know, we're, we're moving into, into the season of the year where we have a chance to reflect on the incarnation, this idea that God became flesh. And every Christmas time, every Advent season, we spend time doing that. And, um, in, you know, this year, I've been thinking a lot about the implications of of the birth of Jesus, because there's just so many different fascinating aspects of it uh, that you can think about. And what I want to do this morning is, I, I feel like oftentimes we, we jump right into Christmas and we talk about the birth of Jesus, and we, we talk about maybe the themes that are common for Advent, like joy, hope, love, peace, and those are really good themes. We've done that for a number of years, but this morning what I want to do is I actually want to back up, because I think it's really easy to miss the profound 
miraculous nature of the birth of Jesus if we don't have the Old Testament backdrop with us. And, I, and I, so I want to talk a little bit about the backdrop. And, and there's a, a different way to maybe think about this. And I call this the story of redemption. This is kind of like, in a sense, this is how we got here, so to speak. And, and maybe one way to think about this is, is theologians have laid out four different themes or plot moves to describe the story of redemption. And, and many of us, maybe in this room, when we've had family members or friends ask us about the Bible, or maybe you're here this morning and you're like, maybe the Bible's confusing and you're not really sure where to start. I think this maybe will help you because what I want to lay out is what I would call the four, the four overarching plot movements of the Bible. And so if you kind of want to know the gist of what the Bible is teaching us or telling us, these are some really good, helpful ways to think about it. And so, so the first... I mean, aspect of the story of, of redemption is creation, right? We read in Genesis that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? God creates everything out of nothing. We have this miraculous uh, creation event happen. And, and in creation, what we see rather quickly is God creates human beings. So Adam and Eve are in the, in the story of Genesis 1 and 2, and um, I've often kind of curiosity um, has driven me to wonder how fast do you think it was after God said, don't do this, that Adam and Eve did it. Anybody have an opinion on that? Like, any, let's just by a show of hands, how many of you think it was within a week? Okay, wow. How many of you think it was over a week? I'm just curious. Okay, one person, all right. How many of you think it was within 24 hours? Okay, how many of you think it was within the first hour? Okay, I, I'm personally thinking it was like 37 seconds in. I, it's just, like, I've spent enough time with human beings now, that's my, my overarching assumption. Uh, but, I, but no one really knows for sure, you know, how long it was. But what we do know is that at creation, God creates everything out of nothing. And then we read in, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, that God looked down on all of his creation and he saw that it was good. He saw that it was good. He looked at all the different creatures, all the different plant life, all the different things that were alive that he had created, and he saw that it was good. Um, I remember, um, you know, thinking about, about that uh, because platypuses were created by God. And it's like, I mean, have you ever seen a platypus? I mean, how can you not think it's good, right? It's just such an interesting creature. But he, he looks down on his creation, he finds it very good. But then what we see is in the story, there's this special, unique relationship that God has with Adam and Eve. And they have an intimate relationship. In fact, what Genesis tells us is that as Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden and they're, they're enjoying all of the creation that God has has made and called them to be stewards of, we read that they walked with God in the cool of the day. And so there's this really intimate relationship happening in the early beginning stages of creation. Everything is good. God is close and intimate with Adam and Eve. And then something happens. Something happens rather quickly. And, and so we have creation. That's the first plot movement. And the second plot movement is the fall. The fall happens. And this is, I think, the great rebellion against God um, it seems like, uh, you know, a significant part of the human condition that we all struggle with is sin nature, right? 
Like there's nobody in this room that can say, I don't sin or I don't have brokenness, right? I mean, have you ever stopped to think and consider how no one has to teach their kids to be naughty, right? I mean, they just naturally are that way rather quickly. And we were the same way. And, and so Paul talks about this in the sense of our sin nature. In fact, if you just look at Ephesians chapter 2, Paul lays this out by, he's speaking to the Ephesians and he says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. What's the point that Paul is making? Is he's saying that every human being has a condition, and the condition is rooted in a, a um, necessity to, to go after our own way, to rebel against the, 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 the commandments of God and to do our own thing, essentially. But this is the good news after he says that, because it's rather strong language to basically call us the children of the devil. Agreed? But then he says... But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Elsewhere, Paul says that despite the fact that we were enslaved to sin and despite the fact that we rejected God on a regular basis, he still loved us and gave his life for us. And so the fall is a pretty big a big thing. And I mean, so these movements, this, this first plot movement, the, the fact that God creates everything and then we have the fall. I mean, that's how we kind of tell the story of redemption, so to speak. And then there's this, this, this third movement of redemption. And this is a huge, big part of what we regularly talk about all the time here at the Vineyard. And I think most churches do. In fact, we have, we have these, these promises pretty early on. So like, when you're looking at Genesis, you know, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we have the story of, of creation and God creates the heavens and the earth and he creates the, the animals and the plants and all the creatures in the sea and then he creates Adam and Eve, right? And then rather quickly they disobey God's commandment and then they, they usher us into this struggle that we have as human beings, but what I think is really interesting is that right away in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we have the first announcement of the gospel. This is what this text has been called. It's called the Proto-Evangelium, the first good news offering. And this is what God says to the, to the snake, the devil who has, who has essentially deceived Eve and then Adam. He says, God says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Can anybody really quickly tell me who is the offspring of Eve that, that God is speaking of here? It's the Sunday school answer. It's okay. Just say, Jesus. That was terrible. Let's try it again on the count of three. One, two, three. Jesus. Jesus is the offspring that God is speaking of here. And so what's happening is, is God is saying to the devil, he's saying, Listen, I'm going to cause enmity between your offspring, your demonic, evil people and in, in demonic forces, and between Jesus. But listen to this. This is the beautiful promise, is that he will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. And the heel uh, is pointing to, it's foreshadowing the cross. 
where Jesus was crucified. But ultimately, Jesus wins. Why? Because he will strike your head. One of my favorite paintings of all paintings is this painting that I have hanging in my office, and it's called Mary Consoles Eve. And some of you have seen this before, but it's really a beautiful, a beautiful picture where you have, you have Mary consoling Eve who's holding this, this forbidden fruit. There's the, the serpent that's wrapped around her leg that's ensnared her. And then there's Eve who is with child and has crushed the, the uh, head of the serpent. And so this, this theme of redemption, this, this third plot movement in the story of, of Christmas is important for us because what we happen in Genesis, we have happening in Genesis 3 is this promise that there would one day be a redeemer, a savior, and then Moses and, and, and King David and all these different people in the story of Israel, the minor and major prophets, they keep on saying, hey, one day God is going to redeem humanity. He's going to provide a way and he's going to enter into the story. And we have all these progressive reminders throughout all of the Old Testament. So really quickly, let's just enter into the story ourselves. What we have is, I think, a growing sense of hope throughout the Old Testament that God will one day put everything back together. In fact, I think the word that would describe what's happening in the Old Testament story is anticipation. Anticipation. The people of Israel anticipate the day when God would actually come and be present and make everything whole and new. And so we have, we have this third movement, redemption, and then finally we have restoration. And this is fulfilled, I think, by Jesus' birth, his life, his death on the cross, his resurrection, and ultimately at the second coming. And so these four, four movements, so to speak, kind of just summarize the Bible. Does that make sense? How it just summarizes the entire story of creation. And then there's all these other theologians that have all these little subcategories and subgenres and and it'd be easy to do that. But these are the overarching themes of the Bible. And just for us this morning, to help prepare us to receive Advent and to celebrate Advent and to really remember the birth of Jesus, I hope we can kind of enter a bit into that, into that story. So let's back up. And I want to place ourselves in one of those four plot movements. Um, remember how after the fall, we had rather quickly this promise that one day God was going to put everything back together, right? Genesis chapter 3 does it. Moses promises it. Um, we have prophet after prophet saying one day, one day God is going to enter into this story. And so I want to enter into, into that part of the story. So imagine if you could, for a moment, imagine being part of Israel. And, and if you look at at Israel, you know that, that Israel was called by God to actually be a, a light to the world. And so, for instance, all the other nations that existed at that time, they were supposed to look at Israel and see that that was how human beings were supposed to interact with, with the world and with God. And unfortunately, Israel doesn't do a very good job of being a, an example, right? If you read the story, you, you know over and over again that we have these cycles of rebellion and cycles of, re, of renewal, over and over again. And so this is what's happening as we enter into the story, okay? So um, we have 740 years before Jesus is born. There's this prophet named Isaiah. And Isaiah comes on the scene when, when Israel as a, a people is, 
is really worried. They have a lot of worry and fear and anxiety because to the east of them was an empire of people known as the Assyrians. And the Assyrians were, were growing and they were beginning to, to take over land and they were attacking and sacking nations. And so Israel is in a state of like, this is, this is close to us. We might have to deal with this. And, and so this is actually how God judges Israel's rebellion is by bringing nations to conquer them until they get humbled and turn back to God. And so if you can think about that, if you're in Israel at this time, there's this looming battle about to happen, this looming destruction is facing you, and you're really worried, you're fearful, there's anxiety, and I think it would be safe to say that there was a lot of hopelessness in the, in the people of God in Israel at that time. And along comes the prophet Isaiah. And listen to what Isaiah prophesies early in his public ministry. In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, we read these words. He says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Now Isaiah uses, I think, a number of words. Now how many of you are familiar with this passage of scripture? Like almost all of us, right? This is a really popular Christmas passage. This idea of wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And and Isaiah uses the number of words here to describe the coming Messiah. These these words that I just said, you know, this idea of of wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. And they're very beautiful. But here's the deal. The English language really does not do justice to the original Hebrew here. And in fact, one of the reasons why is because none of the words that are in bold are adjectives. They're all nouns in the original Hebrew. And so what we have happening here is we kind of have a a misleading way of thinking about Jesus as a wonderful counselor, meaning he's like, he's just above average as a counselor. Are you with me? Like wonderful's like, oh, it's better than than average. But what we actually have in the Hebrew is that that Jesus is the wonder, the counselor, the everlasting father of time and the prince of peace. And, and so that's why for this month, I'm kind of thinking about how, um, how we really, when we look at the Christmas story, uh, the best word to describe it is, is wonder. It's so full of, of wonder. It's so full of wonder. And that's why we're calling this sermon series The Wonder. Um, Jesus' birth caused surprise, astonishment, and admiration because everything about Jesus' birth is supernatural. Now, I don't know if you've, seen this, but uh, I think it was at the end of November, I started seeing random people who attend the vineyard posting this idea of, hey, for the month of December, why don't you read one chapter of Luke, and by Christmas, you'll have read through the whole chapter of Luke. Have any of you seen that? Yeah, and so we, we started doing it, and, and so chapter one and chapter two are, are kind of where you have the primary aspects of, of the birth of Jesus, and, and as I've been reading it, and reflecting on it and thinking about, about this, this, this story, because I have literally read the Christmas story 10 infinity times. 
Like, I'm positive, you know, over the course of my life, I have read these stories. I mean, Don and I have been in ministry now for 25 years. I don't think there's a Christmas time where I haven't got up in front of a church and read these passages. Anybody else with me where you've read them just so many times, right? And you know how if you read something or if you have something that becomes really familiar, it becomes really easy to overlook things and to not appreciate those things. That is a parable for marriage, right? I heard about that at least. So point being is that you become really familiar with something or a person and you begin to take it for granted. And, and so I think this is true of relationships and, and especially true of our relationship with God, but it's definitely true of the relationship we have with Scripture too, where we might read something a whole lot of times and we might miss some of the fundamental themes and important things that God wants to teach us about those things. And I think that's true here because when you look at the story of Jesus' birth, and we're going to be looking at those various passages over the coming weeks, I can't help but think that wonder is one of the most appropriate um, emotions and and states of being that we should have. I mean, for me, as I was thinking about the story, you know, the virgin birth is absolutely mind-blowing. You know, as we're reading the story in, in our family, one of my kids is like, so how did Mary get pregnant? And I'm like, um, well, the immaculate conception, you know, the conception, there's the virgin birth. I'm trying to explain all these technical terms. And, and it's like, so, who, so who's Jesus' father? And I, we're having this conversation, and it's like mind-blowing. It's, there's so much mystery about the birth of Jesus, right? There's so much mystery around the story of Jesus' birth, and it's, it's full of wonder. And so the virgin birth is one of those supernatural aspects how Mary was, was pure and un, undefiled and hadn't gotten married and didn't have a sexual relationship with her husband, but the Holy Spirit comes upon her and she becomes with child, the Messiah. And then, I mean, I think the other aspects of the story that are, that are cause us to have wonder is these angels randomly showing up all the time, right? Like, I think it's really interesting because when angels show up, it's like, I mean, Mary, Elizabeth, everybody's like, gets overwhelmed and has a lot of fear, right? They're like, what is this creature doing in my bedroom? So there's a lot of supernatural aspects of the story that we are going to lean into over the course of this month. But then as I was spending time reflecting over the last couple of weeks about Advent, I couldn't help but think about about something that I think is kind of um, a, a, a theme that's almost, it's on under the surface a bit under the Christmas story. And it's this, it's, it's like we know every Christmas that we're supposed to say that the reason for this season is Jesus, right? I mean, we know that we're supposed to dismantle the commercialization and the materialistic focus on presence. And we're supposed to do it in a way that still gets us our presence, right? I mean, are, we, are you with me? Like, we, we, we know that we're supposed to dismantle some of these things and really focus on the true meaning of Christmas, and oftentimes we really focus on the birth of Jesus, and I think that's what we need to do. But what I think is really fascinating is that it's important to note that the birth of Jesus is also about the birth of community. Like, Jesus didn't come to this earth and, and live a perfectly sinless life under the power and inspiration of the Spirit, and then be, be counted as a criminal and suffer the, the crucifixion, being crucified on the cross, and then be, be 
to die and then be buried. He didn't go through all that just to have a relationship with one single person, even though he did that so that he could have a relationship with one person. But ultimately, the birth of Jesus is about birthing more community. It's about about Jesus' salvation coming to impact all people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. It's about being more inclusive and welcoming toward the world. And and I saw this as I was reading um, the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew especially. What I saw is that almost all the emphasis on the implications of Jesus' coming are communal in nature. It's really fascinating. There's this huge emphasis on God fulfilling his promises to the children of Abraham, which is which Paul calls and describes as the people of faith. Right? We are also part of the seed of Abraham as followers of Jesus. So the fulfillment of his promises to not a child, but to children. There's also an emphasis on God visiting and redeeming all of his people in all of the tribes and nations of the world. And the key pronouns that are found in, in, Mary's, in Mary's prayer and praise in the Magnificat, and then also in Zechariah and in Elizabeth, the, the, the key pronouns that are used are we and those and us, all plural pronouns, which is really fascinating because I think sometimes we have spent so much time thinking about the birth of Jesus through the lens of American individualism, and we overlook the actual overarching theme of God's desire to have relationship with all human beings and for people to come into community with each other. And it's a really beautiful part of the story of Christmas and a beautiful part of Advent. So God's act of redemption is an invitation to the whole world to experience the wonder of Jesus. And this really should, I think, inform the way that we commit ourselves to build community as a church, relationships and friendships. Let's stand up together. I'm just going to pray really quick. Um, and, and like, I think what was kind of on my heart this week, thinking about this time of the year is, is it was kind of weird. I, I was happy and sad all at the same time. <laughs> and it's probably because I'm getting older, maybe. But the more that the, the more that I've, um, you know, the more that I spend um, thinking about this, it's like Christmas really is a time that that has these these competing emotions uh, with us. Because the other day I was I was thinking about how, um, you know, years ago. I mean, ten years ago I had. Well, not even 10 years ago. It was more like six years ago. I had all of my kids around a table. We were hanging out, and we were all, you know, I was basically trying to eat their cookies and all that type of stuff. And we were all together, and now, you know, one of our, our kids has gone to college, and so now we have, you know, we have this one seat at the table that's empty, and it's super sad. I'm not going to cry, but I'm, gonna, I'm getting close. <clears throat> and and so those, that's one um, you know, there's like happiness, and then there's also a little bit of grief there. And then there's also loved ones that are in our lives, or that were in our lives that have passed away. I mean, that's the reality. And so now we, we go into the season where we're like, yeah, Jesus was born. Salvation has come. We also have this empty seat at the table. And that sucks. 
it's hard. And, and so some of us have lost loved ones. Some of us have lost, uh, maybe not lost as in passed away, but people who are just not around. Or, or I think there's also people that maybe you were close to and you had a relationship with at one time, and maybe now it's just not quite there anymore, and you're, you're just kind of grieving that loss. It just feels like there's a lot of things that we could be grieving, we could be regretting, that we could be holding right now. That's just kind of the the sense I have. But Christmas really is about hope. You know, this time of the year, we get this reminder that hope, um, the hope that we have. And I I think as I reflect on, on Israel and these cycles of rebellion and renewal that they went through, I can't help but notice that Israel would enter into these times where they were also overwhelmed by grief, loss, depression, anxiety, fear, and worry. They also had those things. And what got them through it was that God had made a promise. And that promise that God had given to Israel, they would cling to, and they would base their hope on those promises being fulfilled. And that is how ancient Israel survived. And I think that in today's world, the way that we survive and the way that we press on is having that same hope that God will once again return to us. Because Advent is not just about the first coming of Jesus. Advent is about the second coming of Jesus. And all of the things that drive us crazy, all of the things that maybe we worry about and we hold and that are, that are really um, impactful for our lives in a negative way, Here's the beautiful news. Jesus ultimately returns, sets up his kingdom on this earth in fullness, and he makes everything right. And that is something that we should cling to, amen? That is hope that we have to to cause us to live our lives in a way that is, is grounded in that truth. And so while Advent can be a tough season for many people because of the memories, regrets, grief, sorrows, and lonelinesses that we might have, This is precisely why Advent exists, to remind us that there is hope. Amen? And so, Father, um, we just want to take a moment right now and to lean into that hope a bit. As the great prophet Isaiah said, that there was at that time a coming child, and his name was Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And those descriptive titles that were given to describe who Jesus is, the wonderful news is that we sit in a place of history that looks back to the birth of Jesus and anticipates looking forward to the return of Jesus. And so I I pray that, Lord, in this space and this season of the next few weeks, um, and even coming months, Lord, that that we would be significantly impacted by the reality of Jesus' birth, the reality of his coming and his promise to come again. And so I pray, Lord, for every person in this room to experience that peace and, and, and grace and mercy and love. And I thank you, Lord, that your scriptures have taught us that you love us more than we could ever imagine, that we could ever fathom, and that you went to such great lengths to restore the relationship that you had with human beings before the fall. And so I pray now grace for everybody here. I pray that you keep everybody safe and help us to take this hope and to give this hope away to the world around us. 
We pray this in your mighty name. And all of God's people who agreed said amen. Amen. Folks, before you leave, say hi to somebody. Grab one of those Christmas Eve postcards, and we'll see you next Sunday.